Hello and welcome to the Dispatched Podcast. Week in review, this is Paul Cross and we have so much to talk about this week, it's hard to know where to start, but I'm joined by Felicity McNeil, PSM, Chair of Better Access Australia. Hello, Felicity. Hi, Paul. Thanks for the invite. Well, I was watching estimates yesterday and it made me recall the good old days when you used to front estimates and I always enjoyed watching your answer strategy, which was the no punctuation, spell out every acronym strategy to take all the senator's time. Honesty is the best policy. (laughs) Transparency, Paul, transparency. (laughs) That's right. right. It always used to make me laugh because by the end of your answers, they'd always look like, you know, baby, they couldn't hold their head up straight. (laughs) Because you take three three minutes to answer a really, really simple. There's a skill in that, I think, and – We'll, we'll, we will talk about that a little bit later, but I, I thank you for joining us. Thanks. I do want to start today by talking about the HTA review because we can't go past the HTA review and particularly given your experience and your understanding of these processes. Are you as fascinated by what we've seen as me? Absolutely. And a big shout out of congratulations to the industry of Medicines Australia and the patients who are demanding Uh, transparency in this process and particularly from you as well and we're getting it slowly but surely. There seems to be a lot of pressure in the in that process at the moment. I think it's quite funny because obviously there was an attempt to completely ring fence this committee with a fake confidentiality (laughs) arrangements and the committee appears to be pushing back on that and so what we're getting in these communiques is evidence of that pushback. (laughs) <laughs> and and I, I think it's absolutely fantastic to see, and, and and more of it because it's absolutely. Why on earth does this need to be confidential beyond a desire to impose control? Look, I completely agree with you. There is nothing in there that is supposedly being considered for an individual drug company's Section One Thirty Five A protection. In a HTA review, this is a public health program. The parameters that are being discussed, because it's a now a policy and methods review. If you're talking about policy in Australia, that is open to everybody. There are many things that should be hidden, but this is not one of them. No. Let's have it at the Sydney Opera House. Yes, I remember that. I remember a former PBAC chair, for those of you who don't remember, Lloyd Sansom, used to always say that, well, if you want transparency, we'll have these PBAC meetings at the Opera House. And I always used to say, bring it on, bring it on, because it was one of those threats that wasn't real. (laughs) Yeah, it's just... Like I said, it's a really important issue and, as you know, Better Access Australia has called in our budget submission for some fairly significant improvements in the transparency of our federal health system and that's not exclusive to the PBS. Yeah. We have we need a lot in this space and the automatic default position of everything being confidential in a public health program, yeah, that's got to stop. Well, let's just remind everyone that enhancing transparency is one of the terms of reference for this HTA review. So I'm but sure- when the probity advisor tells you that it's appropriate uh, that's to right, tell people That's right, when, that. when it's possible, Felicity, when it's when it's possible. So let, let's, let's move on because what, what I really wanted to talk about was the Senate estimates hearing yesterday, and I I just thought it was a wild ride all, all, all day. Senate estimates has been pretty boring for the last few years. There hasn't been a lot of contention, and what we saw yesterday was very challenging discussions, and maybe that is a reflection of a new Senate, a far more activist Senate, and the fact that the Shadow Health Minister is now a Senator. 
Absolutely. Look, I'm loving it. Um, as someone who endured Senate estimates during the Robert Ray, John Faulkner days, Bronwyn Bishop days in other portfolios, uh, you have seen a marked change. And I'm actually loving the Senate and their demand of accountability to the Parliament. Parliament is sovereign in this country and they are pulling it all back. And you're completely right. It isn't. We say activist as if that's a bad thing, but it's actually just Parliament trying to wrestle back control, particularly in health after the, the COVID pandemic when everything was not subject to scrutiny because we had to rush because it was a crisis and it was an emergency. I love Senator Rustin getting into the detail. Is it a notifiable instrument or disallowable <laughs> instrument? Right, right. Is it a notifiable instrument? Uh, we saw the conversations in the Senate about, you know, senators kind of saying enough Parliament is sovereign. Stop doing all these things behind closed doors. They're informed, they're articulate, and they are passionate about what they do and they work really well together and the bureaucracy needs to understand that. Yeah, I think they really struggled with it yesterday. Maybe maybe they've got a bit comfortable in the last few years and I don't want to be unfair to them, but yesterday was not a not a stellar performance. I thought Brendan, Brendan Murphy was there but basically didn't speak all day, which I thought... To change <laughs> was 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 it was interesting and indicative. Look, and let's let's. I, I just want to address this. Obviously, an anti-vax presence in the Senate and in this committee now, and that's not really what we're talking about. We're certainly not sympathetic to that view. Of course, as elected representatives, they have every right to question officials based on their own perspectives. But it's it's not something that. that we would agree with, but that that doesn't mean we didn't enjoy the exchange. No, and I think it is important. I mean, like you said, everyone has a right to an opinion and to express that, and equally those on the other side of the table have a right to seek to clarify and to ensure there is no misinformation in the community. Our responsibilities as public office holders, whether we are elected or appointed in a bureaucracy, is to make sure that the information for informed health literacy is available. So, so it was John Skerritt's last appearance before Senate Estimates, before uh, retiring from the TGA. And I think it would be fair to say it's not a part of the job that he necessarily enjoys. I think (laughs) that he was feeling very empowered and emboldened. (laughs) Uh, The the upside of knowing that you're leaving. I don't have to come back. (laughs) I can can say what needs to be said. That's right. Yeah, I thought thought it was good. And and kudos, kudos to him. The Senate committee paid tribute to his contribution over the years. Yeah, well, he's been an extraordinary leader, not just Mm. through COVID where we got to see him a lot, but, you know, through some of the major reforms of efficiencies in the TGA, the faster processes that the industry and medicine devices, et cetera, have is because of what John did to implement in that space. An example of a review that delivered a good outcome. Now, let's let's get into the discussion yesterday because, as I say, it was a while. Time's a, a wild ride and I'm sure we got information that we weren't meant to get, but I want to start with Better Access Australia, you issued a press release yesterday. We had a Labor senator playing the role formerly played uh, by a coalition Liberal Senator <laughs> Dean Smith in lobbying <laughs> up Dorothy Dixer questions to the department about listing PBS listing performance, but you picked up on a particular point. Yeah, it was another good example of where a senator asks a question in a particular way and you're all looking going, no, you can't ask it that way. We, we were really thrilled because, like you said, We've been big supporters of the reduction in the copay for general patients, and that's wonderful. 
But what we've been saying all along is that you needed to freeze indexation for concessional patients. There has been a line run that because of the safety net for concession patients, they're fine. They've already got plenty going on for them and setting aside the 50 cent hike. By putting on the record what's in the PBS expenditure report, that only 23% of medicines that are dispensed are covered by that safety net, that's the admission that 144.6 million scripts are 50 cents more expensive for concession patients and the majority of those patients, because they only use 17 scripts a year, are not getting the protection. So 50 cents that went up on 1 January, it's going to go up a minimum of another 50 cents on 1 January 2024. And here's a headline issue for everybody on the general copay. It's going to be subject to CPI again. That's going to go on average, if it's a 7% price hike, about $2. Yeah, so. So uh, age pensioners, veterans, other people with concession cards in Australia are going to go close to $8 a script uh, from 1 January next year and that's that's problematic and almost 20% of the general copay reduction is going to be eaten up by the CPI increase. Yep. I remember when I was working in this area in, in, in the Howard government that uh, CPI is just the gift that keeps on giving for government when it suits them. They hate CPI on the other side when they're having to index up, but this is one of those areas that in an era of high inflation is going to really impact people and an aged pensioner who isn't getting a lot of money every fortnight is having to pay $8 a script next year. That to me is a, a worry for anyone who's got an interest in access to medicines. Absolutely. And I remind people that translates into a lot of money for the government. So this year alone, it's $76 yeah. million they're making out of concession card holders. Yeah. Next year, it'll be $150 million plus the 20, 30-odd million that they're going to make from the general copay because it's going back up now as well. Yeah. We've got to stop it. We're not saying do it in perpetuity, but you can't have inflation. You can't talk about cost of living. You can't get angry at the banks for not passing on the interest rate savings. You've got to do something with the government. Just freeze it. Yeah, it is. It is. The copay structure is really, really clunky, and I've used this example before where I pay the same general copay as a family with three kids. It's not fair. There needs to be a bit more nuance in these copays, and hopefully you keep battling away. We will. We, we might will. get some momentum. Let's let's go to Senator David Pocock, who's already had a really big impact since he was elected as a senator from the ACT at last year's election. And he's got a real interest in opiate dependence treatment program. And this is something that you and I have been banging on about for a couple of years now. You in particular, I've just been basically reporting on on what you've been doing. You've been doing a tremendous amount of work with the patients to expose what is just a dreadful, appalling situation. And Senator Pocock raised this yesterday. And we do seem to be getting some movement. But do you think it's in the right direction? Look, it's lovely. He's, he's given them a deadline by law. I listen to the testimony and there's a couple of things that I think are not acceptable. So we've known that this, if you read the terms of reference, it's all about the state and territory delivery. Yet we put on the record that we've pulled a working group together for the first time on the 14th of December 2022, almost two years into this process, that's all about state and territory delivery. And we don't have any plans to have any further meetings, but we definitely will, even though we're going to the March PBAC. There's too much obfuscation for me. Um, mm. The fact that, oh, PMRs take, you know, two to three years. This was one that they actually put in the sense saying, we, we'll endeavour to have this done in 12 months and they weren't called on that yesterday. This this is not good enough. Every day of delay, like he says, is three patients. I think there's some good things in there. I think the pressure is hopefully coming that some of these 
products are finally going to be, I don't know, listed as they legally should be. Yeah. One of the things that I didn't like, and I'm just going to put it on the public record, is the uh, testimony of the Deputy Secretary who said, oh, but with the risk of the co-pays, we have to look at affordability and what that might mean in other programs. I'd like to remind the Deputy Secretary that she has been charging patients $200 a month out of pocket without a blink. So let's not pretend. Yeah. Isn't this uh, the Commonwealth not wanting to take on these state programs? programs. It's, it's, it's about- And patients co- are getting lost in the middle of it that. It is. It's about the cost shift. And yeah. yes, is, you know, is stage supply going to be extended to people on methadone or sublingual buprenorphine? And how are we going to afford that given that we're currently paying, you know, pharmacies $8 and $4 to, to actually administer that stage supply for any drug of dependence? I get that it's complex, but that's actually not good enough. There's sometimes we just have to fix the problem and we need to not pretend that we think that because doing one thing it's creating a problem well, when it's actually creating a solution. I thought Senator Pocock was great yesterday when he said, uh, you know, three people are dying a day because of this, because they can't access this treatment. And I don't know why we accept that given we wouldn't accept it in any other part of the system. I think that the pressure has to stay on. I really would like to see the wider industry join in this and and support it. I think these patients are really impacted by stigma. I've talked about the sort of feedback I've received on writing about the ODTP and I just I just want people to reflect on some of the comments that have been made. Uh, we don't make those sorts of comments about anyone else. So why this group of patients? They are victims of their circumstance. Most of these people have been government-funded into their addiction. They've had surgery, they've required pain medication, serious pain medication, and as a result have ended up addicted to that pain medication and they are desperately trying to get off it and they are confronted with unreasonable costs. And it's not fair. It's not that these medicines aren't reimbursed. They are PBS-listed medicines. It's just that some official has scribbled on a bit of paper that they don't have access to patient co-payments. It's not even a lawful arrangement. You know, I remind everyone that's listening, one in ten of the patients in the community who are trying to access this program are First Nations people. The government just announced further funding into the Closing the Gap program. Well, where's the recognition of this? Yeah. Where is it? Enough is enough. Enough is enough. So let's let's uh, go on to a few more things yesterday. I thought the exchanges about MSAT cost recovery and PL cost recovery <laughs> were just hilarious. So officials were asked, Senator Rustin asked officials, how are we going to accelerate things for MSAC and MSAC outcomes? Because I'm hearing we're a bit slow. And they said, Senator, we've got a solution for that. And it's called cost recovery. They literally said cost recovery is the solution. Now, of course, if we're going to be putting additional resources into the process, not everyone can enjoy that because we have different sorts of applicants. The commercial applicants, the people who can afford to pay are going to go straight to the front of the queue and get the benefit of those resources. And clinician groups and patients, well, you're going to have to stick with the old jalopy process. It's just unbelievable. And then on the prosthesis list, which is undergoing a very dramatic reform, and we've written extensively about that, I'm very concerned about this process of reform. But yesterday what we learned is that the legislation currently before the parliament, which has all sorts of issues, but one of its things is going to impose cost recovery medical technology companies applying for the inclusion of their device on the prosthesis list. Okay. But it has to be applied from 1 July. Under the law, every submission has to be subject to cost recovery from 1 July. 
but the system's not ready to take it. The existing system we closed down in May, and they will then not take submissions until September. So there'll be no medical technology device considered for inclusion on the prosthesis list between May and September because the department's HPP, the health product portal, can't deal with cost recovery. So we have this ridiculous situation in MSAC where you get a streamlined fast process if you can pay for it. And in PL, even if you can pay for it, you're not going to get any process until September because their systems can't take it. I just thought it was an extraordinary moment. You'd like to believe altruistically that if someone's paying for cost recovery, that's new resources, which therefore <laughs> allows the old resources to look after those who cannot actually afford to apply. But yes, cynically, we know that's not going to be the case. And, and I agree with you. A process and cost recovery is always the solution um, when it's a little <laughs> bit more. Right. This, this debate on the prosthesis list and devices, like I said, you know, we're a 100 days supporter, so anything we could do to expedite would be great. But I think the other thing that really jumped out to me in those conversations was about the removal of the 500 items on 1 July into a new funding. No, we, it's definitely going to be there. We're getting the independent hospital pricing and aged care authority to do that. Now, I've had a bit of a look at that report. One of the things that worries me about that one is it's basically the old price disclosure model, which says, I'm putting you in a bucket and there's something that's $100 and there's something that's $2,000. So on average, I'm going to give you $500. If I'm in a hospital and you're going to give me $500, I'm getting the $100 one and pocketing the $400 on that average pricing. And I don't think that's being sufficiently discussed about all these incremental changes. How does it change behaviour? How does it change access? You know, I'd be strongly supportive of the actual legislation uh, going to a proper Senate inquiry because this is an area we've been tinkering with for four to five years. And as a patient, I have no idea what's going on. And I'd remind everybody, it's not the government's money and it's not the health insurer's money. It's my money. Yeah, it's the premium payer. Well, what's the rush? If the systems aren't ready to accommodate this on 1 July, they won't be ready until the 8th of September. Why do we need to rush the legislation? Surely it can go to review for committee. Now, the the medical device sector is saying we don't support it because we don't see the detail. The coalition said we're not going to oppose it, but we're concerned that we haven't seen the detail. Well, a reference to committee is how you get this detail. This is a public health program. What's more, a lot of this stuff is not going to be reviewable afterwards. No. And so we need to know. This is history repeating itself. And particularly the patients. And I think the medical devices and prostheses are not the same as medicines, both the longevity of their patents, the longevity of the use of the technology, the clinical data that's collected together. They are different and we can't keep trying to apply a process that's good for one, which we can also argue whether or not it's good for it with HTA, to another process. You, you know what I – you know, we have to do a podcast. We have to do one on consultation. Because I love it when you get officials saying their, their response. Their response to people saying, "Well, I'm not really sure." But it's, well, Senator, we've consulted in this. We're continuing to consult. We've consulted this time. We plan to consult again. We're going to continue to consult. Getting the feedback is not the important bit. It's how the feedback impacts your decision. And, and I think we have the theatre of consultation a lot of the time. And unless, we, as we saw during the NMP review, it's not enough to give you feedback. You've then got to set the world on fire just to get it acknowledged. But it is. It's important. And I think it's also when. I mean, you reported on the continuous glucose monitoring and the fact that there's a tender coming out there and the first patients knew about it was because you reported it. 
So I'd like to remind everyone there's a national diabetes strategy that quite clearly says anything that's to do with uh, changes to programs, evaluation of technology and medicines must include the patient first. Um, did that area of the department not read their own strategy to go, oopsie? Now, Felicity, we're going to end on a positive note. And in a way, it's a, it's a farewell, but it's a good farewell. And it's a farewell to the old new and amended listings. Yay! <laughs> finally, finally, the new and amended items, which the former government used to count in its record of PBS listings. And in the end, there were more new and amended items than there were actually items on the PBS. That's been set aside. Uh, the new government, presumably Mark Butler, has said no more of this. It was revealed at the Senate yesterday when they were asked how many listings and they said 67 have had additional funding. And I think the additional funding is a much better reflection of a government's performance of listings than new and amended items that includes price reductions. Oh, look, we, we posted almost immediately on LinkedIn a, a big thank you for the transparency. Um, we're always probably... First in line after you to call out when things aren't as transparent as they should be. This was fantastic. And it's okay to know that some things are just an extension of a listing and have no cost. It's It allows us to applaud and respect and to trust more about what's going on in the system because we know what is real and what is not. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the last claim was 2,800, which was absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. And I said based on that criteria, Mark Butler would have – beaten the coalition's nine-year record in the first 12 months because of the PBS pricing framework. Oh, yeah, the one October yeah. and the one April. <laughs> yeah, so he may have already beaten it based on that criteria. So I I welcome the change. I think it's much better, much more sensible. I don't think it was necessary to do it anyway because, you know, there just aren't that many new medicines in the world if you think about it. There are probably only the 15, 20 actual new medicines a year, but – Applying the new funding criteria is a good one. I was very, very happy to see it. I must admit I laughed a little bit and, and uh, thought it was a, a really positive change. And maybe I, I do get too cynical at times, but I, I think this is a good one. And overall estimates yesterday I think was a return to maybe what you would expect from this where senators have been far more demanding in responses. I think Senator Rustin, I don't know how many times she said just answer the question, Senator, she's very forceful in those and does isn't taking any nonsense. And I, and I think that's abso- absolutely fantastic. And frankly, it makes for better outcomes. It's a great time to be a patient in the health system right now because there's a committee that actually is going to get to the bottom of things. Yeah, no nonsense. Felicity, thank you so much for joining me today in the Week in Review. Uh, sorry we didn't get to your questions today. We will certainly get to them next week. We just had so much to talk about coming out of estimates yesterday And we certainly uh, look forward to answering them next week. Thank you. Thanks, Felicity. Thanks, Paul.